five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. Let's start off with a bang. This is a fun one. <clears throat> oh, I got to get it on here. Okay. I'll just surprise oh, you, know you my money's on. in the name of college football. Have you football. seen that defense? Yeah, okay. All right. Here we go. Whoops. He's buying beer. Uh, All of a sudden, he notices <clears throat> that the bar is outfitted in the wrong too. colors. They say, well, maybe you need the other team's hat. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> just messing with you. <laughs> oh, that was good. Good weekend. <laughs> Get a dose. Uh, what's what's really funny is the next commercial, Ocho Equis, and it's got all the Equis that you ever would need, and it's a total parody. But uh, this only has one like. I better give it a like. Okay, so I just thought I'd start your day off with something silly because that's part of what we do here, like it or not, right? Okay, now let's get over to the good stuff. Musk admits... His self-driving system is not that great. It plows into uh, into police and, and rescue vehicles, and it plows into trucks turned sideways across the road. But other than that, if you're paying attention, you can always hit the brakes by yourself. The problem is Google, as Google found, was that when people get used to the car doing 95% of the work, uh, they start reading books and stuff, which I used to do without a self-driving car. Until I looked up once and there was this 18-wheeler in my lane, except he wasn't. I was in his lane. <laughs> Coming at me. Woo! Anyway, so I stopped that back when I was a young man. So Elon admits they're not that great. They're trying to build the same basic AI system. It's really all just programming. They're trying to get the car to understand city driving versus highway driving probably a big mistake would probably make sense to have a different whole different set of instructions whole different computer that hands it off between the two once the speed once the car gets going more than 75 miles an hour or something because that's a whole different kettle of fish right as we all know some people i know won't drive on freeways and probably with good reason anyway then there was this uh Don Burnett, who is a CEO of Kodiak Robotics, who's trying to make trucks stuff. And he says, you know, uh, really high truck highway performance is, is not the same as dense urban passenger car performance. Duh. And that's why, like in our machine learning, what we figured out long ago was this lie about uh, the lie about give us tell us your best customers and we'll find more like them. Total lie. No, you won't, because you don't even know why they're your best customers. They don't know even maybe why. You might have fixed something, or maybe their mom bought from you, and they still do or something. There's, there's, there's no way to figure that out. But I can tell you what you can figure out. You can figure out customer clusters and geodemographic clusters that you've mailed thousands and thousands and thousands of times and don't get any orders and say, hey, that's probably not the best place to uh, – to mail anymore. Once you can identify those characteristics, the mailings get better, but not for the reason that everybody says, right? It's just like this. Ask the right questions and you might get a better answer. Okay, let's, speaking of lies, I thought this was a really good, really good, interesting article. <clears throat> I got it off Adland. Um, 
trying to remember my friend's name that runs Adland, and, and it's a really interesting name, and I always forget. Anyway, we'll anyway check it out. Um, see if I have a link there. No, I I had to cut and paste this because her format doesn't lend itself to uh, to PDFing. Okay, there <clears throat> there's this story <clears throat> of this janitor that was inspired and he worked at Frito-Lay and he was inspired by the CEO to go for it and he came up with very very spicy Cheetos um flaming hot crunchy Cheetos and uh they're making a movie about his life and he gets 10 to 50,000 dollars per speaking engagement and uh talks about how he got to director level at Frito-Lay from being a janitor which However, he did it is a pretty amazing story, um, but he claims that he had something to do with the inventing this uh, hot and spicy Frito-Lay uh, Cheeto, but it turns out he didn't. He wasn't around. Uh, his, his timeline is off by a couple of years. It was a team of developers in Texas and uh, that worked for Frito-Lay, and um, the lady that came up with the flaming hot idea um didn't get any credit at all but now i guess she is i'm going to re read her name because she's greenfield is her last name what's her first name sometimes this i highlighted too much stuff but um as the article points out in the world of advertising there's no such thing as a lie there's only expedient exaggeration which is what the self-driving car article claims musk does all the time <laughs> and uh you know it's probably kind of what trump was doing he didn't it wasn't like he wasn't getting it kind of directionally true it was that he was exaggerating dramatically or getting the numbers a little wrong i worked for a guy like that you know and people loved it people loved whatever he talked about he just would he would always put in decimals in all the numbers uh he said that gave, gave the numbers better credibility um which 98.7% of the time it does, but not always. Anyway, um, here it is, Greenfield, Lynn Greenfield. I should have underlined it there. Lynn Greenfield is the one who came up with the Flaming Hot. And when she heard about this urban legend of janitor to director, uh, she called foul and the company started an investigation, whatever that means. And found out that it was it's totally wrong. He had nothing to do with it. But he's getting full credit, and that's the way it is. If you're a consultant, I learned long ago, you can't do much if you care who gets the credit. So everybody else can have the credit. Okay, this is an excellent, super great article. It's one of the best that I've come across in a long time. Forbes in Forbes, which I always I appreciate Forbes is giving voice to some of these you know, low-tech solutions here. This isn't by any means low-tech, but I mean like direct mail. Okay, customer acquisition. We're going to talk about customer acquisition, and we've got a little bit of time, so that's great. I went fast. David Hadaway, and I did write to him, and I invited him to be on, on with us. I don't see him on, but David, if you're out there, you know, come on. I, was, I told him it was going to be yesterday, and I didn't get to it, and I wanted to give it plenty of time. So uh, customer acquisition, according to HubSpot, is the process of bringing new customers or clients into your business. The goal of this process is to create systematic, sustainable acquisition strategy that can evolve with new trends and change. Okay. A survey of 1,000 small business owners 
said that customer acquisition was one of the biggest challenges of small business in the next year. Okay, so why is that? One, marketing to existing customers is easier. Yes, you'll get much higher response rates. When we were working with Cabela's, you know, I had long ago said you're gonna, you're never gonna get more orders than the number of pieces you mail. Guess what? There was a segment at the top of the model in Cabela's Fishing that pulled more than 100% response. It was about 5,000 people. We mailed 5,000 pieces, and we got, I don't know what, 6,000 orders or some crazy thing like that. It wasn't that everybody responded. It was that some people responded more than once. And uh, for in Fisherman, I remember seeing one zip code when we were doing prospect modeling, which is for customer acquisition, that we mailed one piece of mail and got two orders. 200% response. So don't tell me you can't get more than 100% response. Anyway, um, that one wasn't to mailing to customers. That was just like random, I think. Uh, don't let one... Don't let one person in in Arizona define your walleye uh, best customer segment. That's a, a lesson there, which I have already touched on from the previous article. So it's easier, you know, the Wall Street Journal came up with this idea that uh, it's easier to sell products and services to existing customers than to someone you don't have a relationship with. That is only mildly true. Sometimes it's false. Sometimes your product is no good. Sometimes your product is a novelty. Those chocolate dip cherries that advertise on talk radio, you know, I I want I, I was interested in in uh, we're going to talk about list brokerage and lists next time uh, tomorrow. But I wanted I I asked my list broker about that list. He says nobody rents it twice. I said, what do you mean? He said, you know, people got people are buying those things for other people. They have no loyalty. They're just looking for novelty. Something to think about. Okay. So it's not always the case that it's easier to sell products to existing customers. And there's a limit to what you can sell, right? Sometimes it's better to start a whole other division like Levi's did with Dockers, right? As opposed to Lee, who is not famous for khaki pants, but Dockers is. It's almost a, it's almost a trademark problem. Marketing to existing customers has a better return on investment. Also generally true, but, you know, you can beat the tar out of them and, and vaccinate them from ever buying again. Uh, acquiring a new customer can cost at least five times more than retaining an existing one. Also possibly true. Probably true. Okay. But that doesn't mean you can just give up on them. Okay. Existing customers tend to spend more money. Also true. Right. Existing customers are 50% more likely to try new products and spend 31% more than compared with new customers. Although in Cabela's, we saw an interesting pattern. We'd see, a, oftentimes, we'd see a low order, a low value order that, comp, that customers were checking you out. And then we would see a dramatically more greater spend. Like when I got into hunting, my wife said, how much do you think it'll cost? I'm still spending money on hunting. Uh, I said, I don't know. I just bought a camo coverall for... 25 bucks and the the license was like 25 bucks and a friend lent me a bow. I don't know, 100 bucks, you know. <laughs> I took the random arrows to the bow shop and said, "Would it be better to have all the same kind of arrows?" And they just laughed at me. <laughs> so I bought more arrows. I bought matching arrows. What an idea. Anyway, I've spent thousands and thousands of dollars on hunting now. 
But what happened was, initially I spent very little. Let's see if I like it. I didn't like it that much. It was, you know, get up real early in the morning, uh, sit still and be quiet. My wife said, you're not going to be very good at this, are you? <laughs> so anyway, and then on a good day, you catch something, <laughs> and then you got to deal with a carcass. So it's not easy. It's not easy. And I sympathize with murder mysteries in how do you deal with this? which is a similar size or a little bigger. Okay, so yes, existing customers tend to spend more money, but there's a curve there. They can start low, go high, and then taper out once they've gotten all that they can think of buying, although there's always some new gizmo widget ding-dang doodad that you can buy. Okay, ah, so uh, acquiring new customers is still important to replace the inevitable attrition of existing customers. We're going to get over to the... With, to the bathtub model in a second. Determine customer needs. Many of the direct marketing strategies for acquisition begin and end. This is where the article really gets good. Uh, with uh, demographics, age ranges, all that. Um, it's too vague. And he's right. You know, what, what, I, uh, what I've found over the years is oftentimes the customer file can give you a very precise indication of what, of what to aim for. Because there are better customers with with key variable differences, like initially bought from the catalog instead of Amazon or something like that. Um, so, you know, our system taps out at about 500 variables, but there's a lot you can learn from 500 variables. You can also, it's optimized for anomalies, and you can often spot, spot something odd that you don't think should be there, and that can open doors to whole new businesses. Okay. Uh, better than this, better than this, what is my ideal customer question? He's right about that. Think of the impulse aisle in terms of starting a new customer. Think about what is in the get yourself a little something section of Amazon. Offer customers, offer it to customers who don't know what they want or need, which is just about everybody, okay? In the fa financial world, this could be a personal loan to someone with multiple high interest credit uh, interest rate credit cards you know or it could be information you know it could be a <clears throat> how to get your finances together how to get out of debt how to lose 20 pounds in three weeks that's what i should do if you know if you don't know what the customer needs ask them attach a two or three question survey to your email communications that almost never happens and even when you do no one listens because i'd fill them out Phones need a little charging light, just like my Bluetooth earphone has, which cost was, I think, free. Uh, if a free item can have a charging light, why can't my, my several hundred dollar smart smartphone when, it's, when I want to keep the screen off? Why can't it have a little light? Okay. With acquisition, a broader strategy is necessary. Absolutely right. Especially on a startup. You don't want to say, well, we're sure these customers, these kind of people will be our customers. Don't ever say that. Have some humility like Ritson said yesterday. Try some areas around the key target. You might find out that there's gold in them, their hills. When we started with computer supplies, when we first conceived of launching a, a computer supplies catalog, there were only like six. By the time we got in the mail, there were 60, 10 times. Everybody decided they wanted to have a computer supplies catalog. The lists that worked were not the computer lists. They also were not the... Sports Illustrated lists, you know, the non-related lists at all. But they were was they were they were the lists where 
it's kind of on the edge of things, you know, like business lists and stuff, where people hadn't been saturated by, they weren't getting 60 catalogs a month in computer supplies, but they were, you know, they were interested in a couple. And sometimes that, so sometimes off of the target actually does better than straight on. This is something I wanted to touch on. I really like this. Once you identify the computer, the consumers with a need for your product, uh, your contact strategy should include something that we call one five twenty strategy: one direct mail piece, five emails, and twenty social media ads. Not necessarily in that sequence. We found works best by putting a tangible, somewhat expensive direct mail in the prospect's hands by adding up to five emails before, after, and after the direct mailer hits their mailbox. I would also say consider um, consider informed delivery and putting a, an offer into there because the post office claims that they get response, though I've never talked to a merchant that got significant response through informed delivery, but I'm happy to hear a case study. Would love to hear about it. Um, and then 20 social media impressions, which you can do through Go, uh, Google Ad Network or Facebook. If you have the, if they have the, uh, the street address, you can, you can direct target an ad directly to that address. So uh, he said he said he's seeing 20 to 40% lift on their response rates. And I always ask at what cost, but he goes on to say, use the lifetime value rule. Determine the lifetime value. Uh, if, you're an auto, if your auto lender averages forty $4,000, which is net profit over time. I, I really like more like uh, an ROI EBITDA kind of number, CFOs like that, where we say, okay, this guy's going to be, we expect, or this cohort of customers has been worth, that's much more precise, has been worth $5,000 in the next five years of profit, of net profit, bottom line profit, taking out the cost of retargeting, taking out the cost of goods, taking out the cost of, uh, of maintenance and fulfillment. Um, and so that gives you the lifetime value. And then he says, so your budget should be under $1,000 per new customer acquired. Right. You don't want to spend all that money. This is a mistake people make who were selling lifetime value. But it's not easy to know because how much, you know, you have a general budget for your website or you have a general budget for mass media. How much of that is, is actually being seen by your existing customer base and not being noticed by others? Okay, find accurate information, and that was a good one about list sources, and that's the end of that. But I wanted to just touch on, I wanted to just show you, illustrate what they're talking about. One thing they're talking about is, this is like campaign, 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 through a number of years, okay? And every year we add in a few customers, and, and then they peter out, okay? And then, whoops, and then, this is what your customer file ends up looking like. By frequency and monetary, you've got a whole lot of people that only bought once and didn't spend much. And very, very few people who bought often and bought a lot. This is why profiling your customer file on the basis of these makes no sense whatsoever because they're such a small per percentage. But if you can figure out how to rule out most of these and go after the ones that have a higher probability of coming back to life, that is real money if you're going to talk about customer file, okay? So this is more like what your customer file looks like. You know, you're growing your business, and they're piling up, and this, this is like through time. This is like into July of the next year. And so, and what you can compare across time is number of, of active customers, who, and define it by like who bought in the last 12 months. 
okay so what you end up with is this silo of customers and the problem you have is you put new customers in and you can measure the height of the number of new customers but you don't you know you say okay if we put this guy in we should have four customers now or four thousand or four hundred thousand but it doesn't work that way why because some are falling out so you're putting them in you can tell who's new because you didn't have their address before but you can't you can't know when they're falling out because you know their wife said don't you ever buy any more of that hunting gear again or we used to see in guitar center you know somebody bought a four thousand dollar gibson guitar <laughs> they'd go dormant for about four years and then we could reactivate them, you know, after the divorce was finaled and they moved into the mobile home. Mobile home percentage was another one of those key variables that worked really well for a musician's friend. Uh, anyway, so what, what you have to do is you have to keep doing acquisition because they're falling out and they're not telling you. Not like life insurance where Martin Bear invented this. So have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye.